This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Budawang people of the Yuan Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everyone and welcome back to Ozpol Snack Pod, the podcast where we just kind of waffle on. That's right, it's the weekly news podcast where we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, which you should go and check out if you like Ozpol and shitposting. I mean, no one really likes Ozpol, hence the, the shitposting. But yeah, it's the yeah. only way to survive. That's right. You should still go check it out. My name is Zach Snack. With me, as always, is my co-host... It's me, Noon, and we have another guest co-host, excitingly, this week. We do. Welcome to the show, JB. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's it's very exciting. I listened to last week's episode with Tilda and um, got excited about it and tweeted about it, and now I'm on the show. So it just, I think it just goes to show that if you are annoying enough online, you can achieve anything. That's the <laughs> whole premise of our show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's very true. It's that simple, listener. Um, JB goes by the handle Fairy God Slut on Twitter. You may have seen them tweeting up a storm lately about uh, sex work in particular, uh, which we're going to chat about later in the show. Uh, JB, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about you? You know, who are you? Why, why um... are you here? Why am, I, why am I here? Well, you asked me. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was my idea. I'm, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm here. Uh, yeah, basically because I've been uh, quite uh, intense, I suppose, about uh, a bunch of different uh, laws and regulations and uh, changes and things like that affecting mm-hmm. uh, sex work in the sex worker community uh, in Australia and worldwide recently, uh, notably the sex work decriminalization bill uh past victorian parliament's upper house uh just over a week ago um and also there's been a lot of developments in the kind of online digital rights space that are going to have really large repercussions for sex workers um as well so there's some good and there's some bad uh but there's a lot and i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about all of it excellent well i can't wait to get into that but uh, before we do, Noon, shall we visit our uh, little election section? Yes, but we should also shout out a new patron, Austin. Thank you so much for signing up, Austin. And listener, if you love the show, go to our Patreon and give us some cash. We'll shill it more later. Never fear. All right, let, <laughs> let's worry. get into it. Elections generally not that funny. There's too much politics going on at the moment. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! And we need to thank listener Aiden for that. For that sting. For that amazing sting. Still fresh, still good, yeah. It's, a, it's look, grown on me even, I would say. I enjoyed it the first time, but it's like, now when the little whip lash comes in, I'm like, oh, yeah. Nice. It's matured. Um, and look, <laughs> there's a lot of voting for Kodos going on because um, we had four by-elections in New South Wales last week uh, for the seats of Willoughby, Bega, Monaro, and Strathfield. Um, so a by-election is when, you know, someone has, uh, say been forced to resign 
for allegations of corruption, just for instance, um, and they need to find someone to replace them. It's not like a full statewide election. They just do it in one seat or four seats is the case, maybe. What about and if you get like so badly owned by a YouTuber that you resign? Would that just trigger for example, a by-election? Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that by-elections happen for. Okay. Yeah. So New South Wales has an election due in March next year. And by-elections are generally thought to be like pretty useful metrics of how elections will go. They're more reliable than like polls, which as we know are completely useless. Mm-hmm. Um, and one key issue when looking at by-elections is how big of a swing the parties get. So if they had a 10% margin and it's down to 5%, then you can be like, okay, so if this is representative as the state as a whole, we might guess that there's a 5% swing across the entire state. And then like, if that happened, then all of these seats would change hands or whatever. So it's kind Hmm. of useful information. And that's kind of the main metric that people look at. So I'll go through all four of these seats briefly, because they're all kind of interesting. Uh, except Strathfield, because in Strathfield, the former New South Wales Labour leader, Jody McKay, resigned. Um, and it looks like the new Labour person will win with essentially the same margin. So that's that's the most boring one. Labour person out, Labour person in. Um, in Bega and Monaro, things are a bit more interesting. So Monaro is in the south of New South Wales and borders Canberra and the ACT. And it was held by John Barillaro, who I think you were alluding to before, Zach. Um, he's the, the former Nationals leader slash deputy premier of the state who Friendly Geordies has legally agreed not to refer to as a greasy meatball. Um, <laughs> I was being generous to John Barillaro when I said he resigned because he got owned by a YouTuber. He resigned because he was doing a bunch of shady stuff. He just used the YouTuber as cover. Yeah. So yeah. let me just clarify my stance on that. But uh, yeah, so Barillaro had a margin of about 11% ahead of the Labour candidate. And it looks like the replacement Nationals candidate, a woman named Nicole Overall, which is a great name. <laughs> um, she It looks like it's she'll be elected. It's a great name for a National. It is. Um, so it's likely that, she, you know, the Nats will be re-elected. Uh, but she's suffered a big swing of more than 6%, which is bad news for the government because they have about a 5% margin statewide. So if the swing in Monaro is replicated across the state, it's like bad news bears for the New South Wales Liberal Party. Um, but well, a, a girl can dream. <laughs> yeah. And she's going to get in. There's there's almost no chance <laughs> that she won't get the seat, but she might get the seat and then they'll lose government. So good. Would um, you say that that's an overall positive or negative? Hey, <laughs> There it is. Um, <laughs> this is the real reason why we got JB on the show. <laughs> just, yeah, for- just piping in every now and then, just with a truly atrocious pun. Would you say it was a, a, a cheesy joke? Because up next is Bega. Um, I would say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, let me just take my lactase. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the Bega situation is even worse for the Libs because it was held on a 7% margin and they've had a more than 12% swing. So if that number was replicated across the state, it would be like a total wipeout. Uh, but no one really gives a shit about any of those three seats because everyone's looking at the seat of Willoughby. Um, and this was I mean, the... Bega's a big, sorry, Bega's considered like a fair weather, uh, fair weather, a bellwether seat though, generally though. Yeah, and Eden Monaro mm-hmm. was as well until mm. most recently, though that's at the federal level. I don't know about in New South Wales, but yeah, totally. Um, they're important seats. So if you're a not nerd, to lose. you might care. Yeah. 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 Luckily, no. we don't have any nerd listeners. I don't, I don't or know. Nerds hosting this no. podcast. No. Nerd free zone. Cool guys only. Yeah. 
yeah, so Willoughby was the seat that was held by former Premier Gladys Berry Juslamon before she was forced to resign because of the whole corrupt boyfriend situation, allegedly. Um, and I, I don't know if that's been... I don't know if we have to say allegedly anymore, but, you know, that's fine. Um, and she was extremely popular for reasons that I'm really still not sure about, but she had a 21% margin at the last election, which is just, like, ridiculous. And, like, Willoughby is ultra-safe liberal territory. It's been held by the Labour Party on just one occasion since 1915. Mm. Uh, or rather, it was safe liberal territory, uh, because there's an independent running there, a woman of the name Larissa Penn. And she's definitely one of this new crop of, you know, independent middle-aged women with professional backgrounds and moderately progressive policies. So people like Helen Haynes, Ali Stegel, Monique Ryan, Zoe Daniel are a few of them. Mm -hmm. um, and many of these people are funded by Climate 200, uh, which is the, like, organization Simon Holmes Court, is that his name set up? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of subtweeting of him in the newspapers recently, but Larissa Penn is not funded by Climate 200. Um, she has very similar policies, though, you know, transparency, ICAC, focused on First Nations and women's safety, sensible planning, net zero emissions, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Normal, okay, good policies. Um, and according to the Sydney Morning Herald, she ran on a shoestring budget, uh, but she's gotten more than 32% of the first preference vote. Wow. And after preferences is only about 3% behind the Liberal candidate, um, who unfortunately is another lunch meat named Tim for us oh, to great. get confused about. So this one's Tim James, not to be confused with Tim Wilson, Tim Smith, or Tim Watts. Um, Good but, Lord. Yeah. So yeah. After How could we confuse any of those extremely distinct slabs of spam they all look like different brands of cold blended meat you know Deli and meats. yeah yeah so yeah after preferences it's a 19 percent swing against the liberals so Fucking this now hell. makes it like very marginal and no longer safe liberal territory this is very dramatic yeah it's ridiculous 32 percent of first preference votes for an independent is quite impressive like that's good f like i think the labor party didn't run this time so that's probably part of the reason mm -hmm. but last time they got 14 percent um so she got pretty much all of that and then another <laughs> yeah, right. like 15 17 percent of of liberal voters basically and other people yeah so do you know if she's run before i believe she has pretty right. unsuccessfully I think she also stood at the last election. I don't have that right here. I'm sorry. Um, so good. Yeah. But I think she got like 3% or something, which is also not bad for a first time independent candidate, but yeah. um, nothing like this. Yeah. So sadly, the latest news, um, Anthony Green tweeted 25 seconds before we started recording um, <laughs> that uh, the, the gap is widening rather than narrowing with the first lot of postal votes. Um, so it looks like lunch meat Tim number four will get elected. Um, but it's very impressive. And this will see Larissa Penn paid out a significant amount, like reimbursed for mm. the first preference post she received. And I would be surprised if come the election in March 2023, she isn't much better bankrolled by, for example, Climate 200 or, you know, Malcolm Turnbull or whatever. Um, so yeah. well, yeah. I hope she gets in purely so that there's one less Tim for me to have to look at. Yeah, yep, that's the or dream remember. for for all of us political nobodies.
<laughs> All right, that's the uh, that's the election election section done. Shall we move on? Shit post of the week. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, did you hear that Anthony Green got ligmed? Sorry, who's Anthony Green? Ligma balls. <laughs> Oh, no! <laughs> I, I got ligma too! <laughs> I couldn't escape the ligma! No, no, it was really, really hard for me to hold back from, uh, from jumping yelling. in there. With that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, please, no, but that... please yell ligma balls at any point on <laughs> Whenever our you like, politics just... well, podcast. I, I think it was honestly his lack of knowledge about the BOFA protocol that really let him down. <laughs> that reminds me. BOFA we... is nuts, boy! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't give you the fetal light, but I'm glad you went for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a real Sugma issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, so obviously Anthony Green, he's the ABC's election specialist. Uh, Zach, you do know who he is, despite asking for the sake of that joke. I, I do know who he is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm aware. I'm but aware never let the truth get in the way of a good bit. No, that's right, yeah. Uh, so he, like, has been fact-checking a lot of people on Twitter recently, uh, which these days means that a lot of Labour voting boomers are coming for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if this was actually a Labour boomer who, who, who asked him about the... Ligma issue. No, um, seem it seems to be an unaligned shit poster. From okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vans political alt. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> sound. Uh, sorry, Vals, not Vans. That's just a, a little Freudian slip for me there. Um, a hero t- came along. <laughs> they tweeted it, Anthony. Um, asked the AEC Twitter account earlier about the possibility of Ligma isolation voting to be remote. They said it could. Do you think that Ligma will become a bigger issue closer to the election? <laughs> Maybe resulting in a big swing with postal ballots? And Anthony replied, and Ligma is? <laughs> Prompting many people in the comments to be like, no! <laughs> I, saw a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of people just outraged that anyone would dare do such a thing to poor Anthony. <laughs> yep. um, and I will say, like, I do, I worry sometimes looking at the replies that he does. Like, you can kind of feel the barely suppressed frustration coming through when he once again has to like patiently explain to these like complete like people that are just determined to get the wrong end of the stick yeah yeah they will like dig up the stick turn it around and bury the right end of the stick so that no <laughs> other end of the stick is available to them um and they do it to the ADC as well but poor anthony yep. he really seems he's a man on the edge and i just anthony if you're out there if you're listening look i i don't know see a doctor Get some get some heart medication possibly on hand. Have a defibrillator available. Yeah, to you, just in case saying. it's election season coming up. Yeah, there was a very earnest, sweet reply from Australia's favourite fourteen-year-old news pundit Leo Puglisi saying, "Anthony, I strongly recommend you mute the terms <laughs> ligma, sigma, and bofa," um, which is very sweet of Leo. Leo, come on the show, please. Um, there was also a, a good exchange. Um, uh, yeah, Benjamin Miller asked, curious to hear the AEC's take on the BOFA precedent as it pertains to questions of formality slash informality. And the Australian Electoral Commission official Twitter blue tick tweet account said BOFA D's ballot papers. So good on him. Every- everyone's getting involved. That's off. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the AEC's Twitter at the moment. It They're is... doing a good job. 
It's incredible. And I think I, I really, I'm a little bit sad that probably like some really big brands are probably going to be headhunting whoever is responsible totally. for that to be like, please <laughs> make us do this for us as well. And I just, I, you know, like they deserve all the money in the world, but also I really hope that they don't take it, you know? Yep. That's <sighs> an official public sector employee right there. Yep. Yep. That's right. This means there's a good chance we're going to get a Senate estimates hearing where a liberal national senator <laughs> will read out a series of Beaufort D's nuts jokes. So, you know, there's a silver lining in every cloud. Very true. Uh, before we move on, this is only very tangentially related, but I saw a screenshot ages and ages ago of Noam Chomsky replying to an email where someone asks him about the Sugon D's conflict. And I haven't been able to find it since, though I've spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to find it. So if anyone has that on hand, please send it through. Uh, contact at ospolsnackpod.com. Thank you. The greatest minds of our times, really, uh, are very are focused on the Sagondi's problem. Well, thank you very much for taking us through that noon. Uh, let's move on now to... Positivity so... JB, you mentioned that there are some not-so-good developments going on in relation to the sex work industry and also some good developments going on. And that's one of, that's the stuff we wanted to ask you about this week, or, you know, mostly good. Positivity Corner always has to have a little sprinkling of negativity in it. But you mentioned that a sex work decriminalization bill passed through the Victorian Parliament this week. And, uh, yeah, we're wondering if you could give us a bit of an update about what's going on there. Absolutely. I was going to say, I think it's, uh, it's, it's practically compulsory at this stage for the positivity corner to come with a caveat, sometimes mm. a fairly extreme <laughs> caveat of like, mm. also a lot of terrible shit's going down, but yep. there's, there's some pretty good stuff uh, that's happening such as, yeah, sex work bill, sex work decriminalization bill being passed through the upper house of Victorian parliament on the 10th of February. Very exciting. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that sex work uh, advocates have been fighting for for literally decades. Like this is, mm. a, this is something that was first sort of started to be talked about over 40 years ago. Um, yeah, you know, wow. Fiona Patton from the, from the Reason Party who really uh, spearheaded a lot of the push for decriminalisation in Parliament uh, spoke on the floor of Parliament about sitting in the old uh, Victorian Prostitutes Collective uh, meeting room in the 80s uh, discussing the possibility of decriminalization. And so, you know, it's, it's been, uh, something that has been pushed for and fought for, for a really long time by, uh, yeah. by a really large number of people. Um, I think, uh, it's probably a good idea to, um, explain the different legal models around sex work for people. Um, mm -hmm. cause there's often quite a bit of confusion. Uh, you know, people say, oh, but isn't sex work legal in Victoria? Um, and things like that. Uh, so essentially there are, uh, within, within Australia, there's, uh, sort of three legal models generally mm -hmm. overall sort of worldwide. There's, there's four general, um, categories that the different kind of legal models of regulating, um, you know, uh, in-person sex work. So full service sex work, which is, you know, um, what is often referred to as like prostitution, which is not really the, 
ideal term, like the community prefers sex work. It recognizes us as workers rather than, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having the kind of criminal type implications. Usually the word prostitution is related to like criminal law and things like that. Um, uh, And it's, uh, you know, a a big sort of slogan is just sex work is work. Sex work is real work. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, full service sex work is what we call that. Um, uh, Yeah. So, yeah, globally, there's sort of four general legal models. There's decriminalization, there's partial legalization, or sometimes called asymmetrical criminalization. Um, although asymmetrical criminalization can also refer to another model, which is often called the Nordic model as well, uh, mm. or the end demand model. That's in heavy air quotes, end demand, um, mm-hmm. versus full criminalization. So, full criminalization is pretty straightforward. It is you can't sell sex. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. Both are illegal. Both are criminalized. Um, that's the legal model in a fair few places, um, such as all of the United States except Nevada. Um, right. uh, you know, and and a, a large number of uh, of other jurisdictions worldwide. Mm. Um, but it being uh, illegal in the USA is going to be quite material to some of the bad stuff that I'm going to talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so it's full criminalization. You can't buy sex. You can't sell sex. It's criminalized in both directions. Um, the Nordic model, which is referred to by its advocates sometimes as the, and this is again, the heaviest, like, like my whole arms are doing these air quotes end <laughs> demand model. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is based on the idea that, well, first of all, it's like fundamentally based on the idea that sex work is inherently a bad thing that it mm. is inherently anti-feminist, demeaning to women, uh, exploitative and violent, um, and that there's no way that it could ever not be those things mm-hmm. um, in any situation. Um, and it's considered, uh, you know, this is the the model that's advocated for by a lot of um, quote-unquote feminist groups, um, which, you know, we would generally refer to as SWERFs, sex work uh, exclusionary radical feminists, mm-hmm. Um and the, the idea behind it is oh, the, the women, because obviously all sex workers are clearly women, it's mm-hmm. definitely not full an industry full of, like, gender diverse and trans people and queer people um, of all genders. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, so it's about um, assuming that women who are victims in the sex industry shouldn't be criminalised for being victimised by the evil pimps and quote-unquote sex buyers um, mm-hmm. and the people that should be criminalized are people buying sex. So sex work clients and people mm-hmm. facilitating the purchase of sex. So, which is referred to under this as pimping, but the, uh, definition of pimping under it is incredibly broad. It basically means anyone that, uh, benefits financially from somebody else's sex work. So that can include, uh, a sex worker's partner, a sex worker's housemate, um, sex worker's landlords, um, and things who have no, uh, real involvement with this, with other people's participation in the sex industry, but they benefit financially from that involvement by, you know, taking rent money or, you know, living in a house where the rent is paid by sex work, etc. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. No, sex work isn't criminalized at all. It's just everybody who associates with and helps sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, under that model, advocacy organizations are also considered to be pimping or trafficking wow. uh, sex workers as yeah, well for assisting hell. them yeah. and, you know, people providing healthcare services, et cetera. It's, it's, it's very bad. Um, it's often referred to by mm. sex work advocates as backdoor criminalization because 
uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make anybody safer. It actually increases, uh, violence and, and, uh, crimes committed against sex workers. Um, basically because mm. it removes the ability for sex workers to screen their clients to, to, you know, determine whether or not they're safe. Mm. Uh, it reduces communication that can be carried out between clients and sex workers because the clients are worried about mm. getting caught. And so they don't want records of discussions over, you know, what services are available, what price they might be at. Um, it pushes sex mm. workers out of, um, you know, in, into uh, more isolated areas geographically, stops them from being able to work together for safety, um, you know, makes it drives everything mm. underground. And we know that anytime things are driven underground, it is bad for the people involved generally. Plus there is the, uh, the, the fact that basically under a legalized or decriminalized situation, people that buy sex could be literally anyone, any consenting mm. adult basically with no regard to whether or not they become a criminal. Whereas if somebody is, uh, buying sex in a situation where they know that that's a criminal act, then you're going to have people that don't mm. care about mm-hmm. whether or not that's a criminal act. Um, and there's, you know, more leverage mm. to use against sex workers as well. Um, if people can be evicted from their homes for doing sex work, then a client has power to say, if you don't prov- uh, provide the service, then I'll tell your landlord and you'll be evicted. You know, it's, it's bad. The Nordic model, mm. absolutely terrible. There was a study um, mm. in Ireland where they recently introduced the Nordic model and in the first year of its uh, implementation, uh, reports of violence against sex workers went up between 70 and 92%, depending on who you ask. But it's bad. Jesus Christ. Um, so that's that's bad. That's pretty black and white. Yeah, pretty, pretty bloody black and white. And people um, still continue to advocate for it. There have been politicians in countries. It's called the Nordic model because it was originally introduced in Sweden. It's also uh, in force in mm-hmm. uh, Norway and uh, Ireland as well, Iceland. Um, it's... Yeah, look, it's bad. Um, and there was a direct admission from uh, the, I believe, the Minister for Criminal Justice or similar in uh, Norway that it that the increased mm. violence is a feature, not a bug, because it's designed to deter people from mm. entering the sex mm. industry, which is Jesus. absurd and ridiculous. That's um, so grim. The the then there's the next model, which is um, legalization or partial legalization. Um, where, which is what we've had in Victoria since 1994. Um, and uh-huh. that is, it's also, you know, the legal model that's used in other states in Australia, like Queensland and Tasmania in different iterations, different regulations, but it's general gist mm-hmm. is that there are some forms of sex work that are legal and others that are not. So there's, um, you know, there's regulations that specifically pertain to sex work and they're governed by criminal law. So breaking the the law in regards to sex work is a criminal, not a civil offence, the way that other workplace mm. law violations would be. Um, so there's yeah. in, in Victoria what it's previously been is that there um, you can have a brothel, you can have a licensed sex on-premises venue, a brothel, um, but it needs to be licensed, it needs to be registered, and it needs to come under very specific planning regulations that are determined um, both by the state government and by local councils, and they're quite restrictive. Um, but the the main issue with that is the licensing fees. Um, the, the bar to clear to become a licensed brothel is incredibly high, um, so it's very mm. difficult to kind of get into that industry. Um, and to stay in that industry as a as the you know operator of a um, of a licensed brothel, 
uh, it's prohibitive, which mm. means that there are people, you know, if you if you want to start your own brothel, if you want to, which, you know, technically a brothel is sort of sex workers working in the same premises together. So uh, sex workers wanting to, you know, do sort of yeah. workers cooperative or anything like that, that's an illegal brothel. Um, and there are very high penalties for illegal brothel keeping. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's there's issues with the police being the regulators of the mm. sex industry as well. So anytime the police are considered both the regulators and the protectors of any group of people, it, oh, it's, I mean, they're cops, right? Like it opens the door to mm. um, exploitation and corruption and um, all sorts of, you know, just cop shit. Um the, the sex industry mm. control unit um, is, look, it's not very well looked upon by uh, people within imagine, the sex yeah. industry. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's issues with, um, you know, uh, in various parts of Australia, local councils paying undercover investigators or cops going undercover into suspected illegal brothels to receive sexual services and wow. then they you know, they they obtain those sexual services by deceit, by posing as a legitimate client, and then they arrest people, um, which is uh, disgusting. It's sexual assault. That is um, so fucked. Yeah, it's so super fucked. cooked. And then there's um, uh, escorting as well. So you can be a legal escort agency by paying those absurdly high licensing fees and meeting those extremely high barriers that are, like, prohibitively difficult to actually meet. Um, or you can be an independent escort. And this is under the legal model in Victoria, which has just Recently been changed. it's yeah. just being repealed currently. Um, it's not in force yet, but um, it will be. Uh, you need to, if you want to work independently, you need to register with the business licensing authority. You need to get an SWA um, business licensing authority uh, exemption mm-hmm. number. Um, you register under your legal name, your legal details. Those details are not uh, removed. They haven't been removed at any stage. So there's... Um, you know, there's records of people who've worked as independent escorts in Victoria going back to 1994 when the register began, um, mm-hmm. people's full legal names and things like that. Theoretically, it's not supposed to be accessible to other government agencies or anybody other than the BLA, but, look, I don't really mm-hmm. trust the – no one really trusts the um, the government sort of on data security, so it's that's really risky. Um and it is, you know, it's it's of great concern to people as well, as well as just, you know, there are a lot of people who don't want mm. to be registered and who will work illegally um, because they aren't registered. Uh, and then there's laws around things like can you work from your own premises, which you currently can't, you haven't been able to under the previous Sex Work mm. Act, um, which is formally called the Prostitution Control Act. Um, you haven't been able to work from your own premises. So you can go and do what's called an outcall if you're an independent escort. So you go to a premises uh, designated by the client, whether that's their home or hotel room, etc. Um, and if you work from your own premises, if you want to have a hotel room that you book and then you see multiple mm. clients in over a period of a couple of days, or if you want to work out of a, you know, more um, ongoing rented premises or out of your own home, that's illegal. So a lot of the time we say in Victoria and as well as in places like Queensland, Queensland's actually even worse with a lot of this, um, independent workers have the choice between working safely or working Mm. legally. Uh, So if you want to rent your own hotel room, you can't do that. Um, You have to go to the client, which means that, you know, you can't control that environment. You can control your own home or your own Mm. environment and you know who's in the room and things like that. 
um, the the legalization model essentially it boils down to it creates a two tiered system of legal and illegal workers, and those illegal workers are often people who are more marginalized, who are less able to get things like a registration number or you know um, you know abide by all of the all of the laws and things. Street based sex workers um, who yeah. are particularly vulnerable to violence and assault. Uh, and from from police and from uh, clients and from members of the general public who are just you know anti sex work. Um, I mean, globally, the the number one threat to sex workers' safety is police. Um, so you know, removing police from the management of sex work is a huge uh, huge benefit to Sounds sex crucial. work safety. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a whole lot more that I could get into, but basically decriminalisation, which is what has just recently passed the upper house in Victoria, um, the idea is that it removes all specific criminal laws or all specific regulations right. on the sex industry and treats it as a regular industry, as any other industry. Um, and that is... Comes back to sex workers' work. It does. Workers should have protections, not criminal laws around what they do at their job like like any exactly other exactly and so um you know and that's that's the difference between legalization and decriminalization so legalization is sex works mm. legal in some circumstances but not all and those circumstances are governed by criminal mm. law they're enforced by the police and the courts um, under decriminalization mm. Sex work is treated as a business, not as a criminal enterprise or as like a weird shady side kind of gray area. Um, and yeah. uh, so sex work, so sex workers will be governed by regular mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. laws and business practices. Um, you know, so uh, workers will be able to work for themselves from the premises of their choice rather than having to go to yep. see clients and things. Um Sex workers will be able to advertise without as many restrictions previously. There were some very confusing restrictions that um, around advertising. So things like you weren't allowed to advertise what services mm. you provide, which again, a lot of these laws or people will say that a lot of the laws that restrict the way that sex work can be conducted are supposedly for the benefit and for the safety of sex workers. But what sex workers have been saying for a really long time is that's not true. It doesn't work. You know, there's, there's no universe in which um, restricting a sex worker's ability to hire a security mm. guard for themselves could be considered increasing their safety. Um, and there's no, there's no yeah. uh, way to, you know, I, I, I think it's completely absurd to argue that, you know, not allowing sex workers to work in groups yep. or yep. with other workers could be, decreasing safety it's it's really it's about moralizing Mm. and it's about um trying to restrict the industry because of the assumption that it's bad in inherently um and it's just Mm. it's not about reality it's about these kind of vague and nebulous sort of ideals of what things should be like rather than addressing what things actually are like i realize this is Um, sort of maybe a bit deep but like do you have any response to people who make those arguments or claims that it's like inherently bad or whatever. Like, uh, as you say, like a lot of these like arguments about safety are reducible to like, well, it's not people believing like having sex for money is like not safe for your soul or whatever. But like, 
yeah do you have any like response to people who hold those beliefs boy do i <laughs> um well yeah i mean look it's it's i think it's pretty ridiculous in general to kind of apply vague and and very conceptual like moral type ideas to a material reality it's mm -hmm. it's similar to laws around drug use and and things like that in terms of like you can't get rid of all drug use you what you can get rid of is safe drug use really by right, driving right. underground yeah, yeah. same as abortion you can't get rid of abortion yeah. you can get rid of safe abortions mm. you know um and and these uh there's there's a pretty common kind of link between all three of those with this kind of like purity related moral politics yeah um where it's it's not based in reality it's based in sort of wishful thinking um and and i mean you know the, there's a lot of arguments um i find it interesting generally because um uh, on, on the left there's quite a lot of arguments emerging currently uh where people are talking about abolishing the sex industry in general for ostensibly leftist reasons about you know, and women's emancipation and, yeah. uh, and exploitation and things like that. And I think, um, you know, like I honestly, I, I don't really have time to go into the, the arguments mm -hmm. that are sort of based in like this Christian, generally Christian, but like often just religious, like moralism about like the purity of, of bodies and like the sanctity of sex and things like that. Cause you know, like people be fucking like yeah. they do, they, they really sure do. do be fucking. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, if selling things is legal and sex is legal, why can you not sell sex? Um, but also, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, this as a feminist issue. Um, and that's like the main kind of argument that I probably want to address in terms mm. of I like looking at the sex industry and seeing it as an inherently anti-feminist or inherently exploitative industry. Mm. And really that kind of comes back to labor rights as well, mm. because, um, well, first of all, like you can try abolishing the sex industry. It's never worked. Um, people call it the oldest profession. That's probably not completely accurate. Like it's possible that like carpentry was the oldest profession, really, if you're going to get really down to the nitty gritty. But it's certainly like one of the oldest professions sure. in terms of people have traded sex as long as there's been the practice of trade generally. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's, using your body to produce an experience for somebody else in, you know, it's not necessarily a tangible or, you know, you can't kind of take it away, but it's, you know, it's providing a service um, to people. And is there exploitation in the sex industry? Absolutely. Of course there is, you know, I, um, I actually have really no time for the arguments around like, Oh, but like some sex workers are really empowered by it. And some it's like girl power, like, yeah, get it, go boss. Like, no, shut up, whatever. Of course, the sex industry is exploitative. It exists at the nexus of gender and capitalism and yeah, yeah. colonialism and white supremacy and ableism and, mm, you know, like mm. it exists at this really like dense kind of like confluence of, of power relations really. So like, yeah, it's true. Most of the time mm. sex workers are um, comparatively have comparatively less power socially more broadly than clients do. Um, and yes, there's exploitation in the sex industry. It's an industry. This is capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like all work, all labor is exploited under capitalism, you know? And, uh, and, and I think that it's quite a, um, it's quite a ridiculous argument to make that it's somehow 
are uniquely exploitative because Mm -hmm. you know like sexual exploitation exists in a lot of other industries as well you know Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. and it's not talked about um and it's and it's you know it's very feminized labor as well so yeah there's there is sexism of course there is there's vicious violent misogyny Mm -hmm. um and my question is how do we best address that and the answer is through decriminalization because you know if you're a sex worker who is Mm -hmm. Um, sexually assaulted on the job which does happen um if you uh exist under a criminalized or semi-criminalized jurisdiction if you go to the cops and you say hi i was raped while doing my criminal job which is a crime um and the proceeds of that criminal job were stolen from me they're gonna arrest you and not investigate the exactly exactly you know it's uh, we're seen as as less human as disposable um and as uh you know as sort of these like i I guess like hypothetical almost as a hypothetical in a lot of people's minds Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and decriminalization takes us out of that hypothetical and puts us into the realm of labor and and work and uh you know regulation of other industries as well um because the sex industry has a lot of similarities with a lot of other industries you know i mean I, I see it as like very similar to um, things like domestic labor and childcare because yep. those are um, especially private childcare, as in like nannying, babysitting, etc. Um, because those are they're feminized jobs that exist largely within the kind of domestic sphere or you know behind closed doors. Um, the labor is devalued; it's seen as mm. something that women particularly should just do for free for men. Mm. Um, and there's a huge amount of uh, labor exploitation and sexual harassment and assault within those industries as well because of the lack of publicity, because of the isolation of the workers. It's a, an industry with a fairly low bar to enter um, and it's fairly informal um, industry as well. You know, having somebody just babysit your children and things like that is often mm-hmm. cash-based and, you know, private and everything like that. Um, so there's there's really a lot of similarities yeah. to uh, other industries. And I think that by making those links to how sex work is similar rather than different mm-hmm. than other industries, then it um, allows sex workers, but also other workers in other kinds of industries um, to be better informed and better able to advocate for their rights. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, uh, you know, th- there's people that sort of, if I may present it in like a galaxy brain meme format, Please. my view personally has is, is you know there's the there's the uh you know sex work is real work and work is good and then there's like sex work is real work and work is bad you know like mm-hmm. I don't think I'm I'm not interested in these narratives about empowerment and about like oh I really love my job and stuff because like you know what sometimes it fucking sucks yeah, like yeah. I have not had like the greatest time in the sex industry but I've also experienced more sexual harassment in particular in hospitality Mm. um than in the sex industry um i Mm. you know essentially i essentially decided to start doing sex work partly because i really needed money which is the reason that most people do it you know like people people, there's a reason that that people do jobs you know exactly and there's all these people talking about sex workers like oh they're just in it for the money they they only need the money and it's exploitative because they need the money and it's like okay cool like why do you do your job I you saw know? a good tweet that's like, capitalism, you have no value except whatever you manage to accrue by selling your labor. And sex workers, okay, capitalism. Not like that. Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, because it is like a, a feminized industry as well. There are obviously, there are a lot of sex workers of various genders. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of queer male sex workers. There's a lot of um, trans sex workers of various genders. Um, and there's also, you know, some straight male sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is generally viewed as a women's kind of industry. Um, uh, and so it's kind of viewed through that lens. Um, but, uh, you know, people sort of, uh, talk about, uh, you know, sex work being, uh, exploitative of like young women and things like that. It's like, these are young women who, and I can say this from experience as well, you know, you're told that your value is in your looks and your sexuality Mm -hmm. and that that's where your principal kind of, you know, worth as a person is located. And then you're like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to monetize that because if I'm going to get my ass slapped at work anyway, by walking past a table with a, you know, full glass of drinks or something like that, then I might as well be compensated properly for it and have a mm. say in how that happens, mm. you know, and then it takes it out of the realm of harassment and into that is the job because you're consenting to it. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, arguments that people like to make about consent and sex work and can you really consent when there's money involved? And, uh, you know, it's, look, it's really complicated. I'm going to try and move on from this quickly because I've got a lot to say about a bunch of things, but, Essentially, um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, issues of consent and coercion and things like that in, again, so many industries um, and the sex industry is not unique in that. Who, whomst among us, you know, does not work at least in part because of the very real threat of, you know, starvation and homelessness mm. if you don't, you know, and, and we – and. I would like to make also another point. It was very interesting watching the sex work decriminalization debate at the same time as being quite conscious of, uh, you know, the situation going on currently with particularly uh, work for the doll, um, which, you know, has been continuing throughout the Omicron variant um, and everything where people are going and doing sometimes really intense like physical backbreaking labor for what works out to about 40 cents an hour Mm. um and that is under force uh, under under coercion you know it's it's under the threat of losing their absolute scraps of of uh centrelink benefits like 44 dollars a day um in total or you know the 40 cents an hour that you get extra for doing work for the doll um and the same politicians that argue against sex work being decriminalized because of, oh, it's exploitative, oh, it encourages sex trafficking, etc., are completely in favor of something that actually I, I believe mm. that it would, it meets the definition of labor trafficking because it is the yeah. exploitation of people by force, fraud, or coercion. And they're fine with it in other instances, you know? Mm-hmm. That was such a good point. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, one of the reasons that I have been in, I mean, I've been in and out of the sex industry over a, a quite a long period of time, but one of the reasons that I've gone in and out of it is that at times where I haven't had other employment or my other employment prospects were not particularly appealing, um, I found it so degrading and so dehumanizing and so not worth it to jump through all of the hoops to get on Centrelink, you know? It is people talk about the sex industry being degrading, but being forced yeah. to prove that, you know, being forced to apply for, you know, dozens of dozens of jobs per week and being forced to jump through the hoops and, and bear your soul to Centrelink and, and uh, you know, like for an absolute pittance 
is so degrading and it is so dehumanizing. Um, you know, I, I literally walked out when I first started, uh, stripping many years ago, I literally walked out of the line at Centrelink because I got a call from a strip club that I'd put my name down to be like, Oh, I wouldn't mind dancing here. Yeah. Um, got a call from a strip club saying, Hey, do you want to come <laughs> in and dance? Um, and, and work here, you can start tonight. And I walked out of Centrelink and I walked into the strip club and it is so much less degrading for me, yep. for many people, um, to, to do that. So that's a very long winded, I guess, answer to talking about the morality of sex work. No, is, thank you. That's great. Yeah. And as you say, you, there's just like so many different angles on mm. the same issue and no matter where you look, if you're not being willfully ignorant, they all add up to the same thing, which is like, I don't know. I, you said it very snappily that there's like a choice between working safely and working legally and like that, uh, or, or also that you can only get rid of safe sex work. You can't get rid of sex work. Like, I think those are both like really important insights to take mm. away. Even if you think it's like icky or whatever, you should still do the thing that's right for the people in the industry. Uh, like, and it's yeah. very clear what that is. Yeah, like something being icky does not make it morally wrong. And it also totally. doesn't mean that you have a right to ban it. You know, right, like right, there are right. industries that I find very icky that I don't want to ban. And I also don't want to, but you know, like they, you know, you don't want to sort of punish the the workers. And I think that mm. that's another, um, that's another issue that I mean, I, I suppose I'll probably go into a little bit when I uh, rattle on about online safety and, and things like that. But basically, you know, even if you want to abolish the sex industry, ultimately, if you're, say, a revolutionary socialist or something, and you uh, think that under communism, after the revolution, there'll be no sex work and things like that, mm. why would you then say, and so therefore we should abolish the sex industry uniquely right now under capitalism, under yeah, capitalism yeah. and force people into other kinds of work, which they may not be able mm. to do. Mm. Um, mm. You know? So it's like, people always talk about like, Oh, after the revolution, will there be sex work? Personally, I do not give a shit about these hypotheticals because yeah. it exists here and now. And I want yeah. rights here and now I want safety here and now for sex workers of all mm. stripes. Um, and I don't want, criminalization of anybody for just simply trying to feed themselves you know it's uh it's fairly basic <laughs> like when it comes it down is. To it's it. it's it's quite absurd and um you know like look i want to abolish the coal mining industry and i think mm, that's a much mm. more objectively harmful industry than yeah. the sex industry um in a lot of ways but i don't think that the way to do that is by criminalizing individual coal miners because those yep. are just people that are trying to make a living you know and there, there's, it's not, it's not a great analogy in terms of there's no like gigantic like sex industry lobby or anything as much as like Swerfs like to claim that there is the quote unquote pimp lobby and things like that. Um, but you know, those are, those are workers and they're trying to feed themselves and their families. Like let yeah. people pay their bills, please stop this. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot more that I can kind of go into, but, um, would you like me to just kind of sum up the, uh, the, the results of the decrim bill? That would be fabulous. Okay. So uh, essentially um, the details of that bill, decriminalising sex work in Victoria, um, there's going to be two stages of decriminalisation. The first comes into effect in May in 2022 this year and the second will come into effect in December next year, 2023. 
Um, there were some amendments to the bill that were put up that did get through that are probably not ideal. Um, and there were some that didn't get through that would have been really good. Um, want to give a big shout out to uh, the um, MLC Andy Medic um, from the Animal Justice Party. Dead set legend did so much consultation with sex workers and took um, the recommendations of peer run sex worker organizations like Vixen in Victoria and Scarlet Alliance, which is the national peak body, um, right into parliament. He brought in some amendments, one of which passed, which is that the register, the business licensing authority register of independent sex workers, those records will be destroyed in May on the 1st of May. Very exciting. Um, mm. Fiona Patton asked in Parliament whether or not uh, sex workers would be allowed to attend the destruction, uh, and that seemed to confuse <laughs> some of the politicians. But it was—I found it very funny. Um, there were, uh, you know, there were a lot of, um, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of discussions in the in the, um, you know, in the debate over the amendments and things like, uh, you know, the amendments and the particulars of the bill itself that I think really showed a lot of misconceptions about the nature of decriminalization. And so, you know, there were mm. um, people talking about like, well, won't this empower sex traffickers? The thing is that sex trafficking, labor trafficking is a crime. That's separate. It's separate to that. It's still it's a crime. crime. People saying, oh, what about, um, you know, uh, child child sexual exploitation, child sexual like, abuse for money. Also it's like, already a it's, crime. It's very much illegal to solicit minors for sex. Like, full stop. You can't do that. That's bad and it's wrong. Um, and actually the the new bill, um, I believe, strengthens some protections for, um, you know, strengthens some uh, penalties in particular for um, child sexual exploitation um, right. uh, in, in terms of, you know, sentencing and things like that, which, you know, we can talk about the, the benefits of, like, a carceral solution. Mm-hmm. However, of course. The, the point that I want to make is, like, it's not going to encourage child sex trafficking because child sex trafficking is wrong and it's a crime. That's not a legitimate job. Sex work, like an adult doing voluntary consensual sex work, that's a job. A child being forced to do sex work, that's a crime. It's wrong. Yeah. It shouldn't happen and it's not going to happen. And then, you know, there were questions about, um, you know, uh, sex workers doing false advertising by referring to themselves as remedial massage practitioners and things like that. And the thing is that it's false like, advertising is covered by consumer affairs. That's not and also, about the sex work And also presumably a lot of sex workers are doing those sort of incorrect advertising because it's illegal to advertise being a sex worker. And so you yes. have to, you want new clients to find you. Yes, exactly. The, it removes the need. Decriminalization removes the need to euphemize and to yeah, you know yeah. use coded language because if you can just advertise mm-hmm. your services normally, then you don't need to do that. And besides, you know, false advertising that's that's illegal because that's yep. that's regulated by the Consumer Affairs Commission, and you know, um, all sorts of all sorts of ridiculous uh, ridiculous things were debated. Where I think it really, yeah, it really showed how little people understand about and by people I mean elected politicians whose job it is to understand this seem to understand um about decriminalization you know there were um there were some interesting uh yeah some very interesting uh questions I think my favorite thing that was said um on the on the floor during the debate was that um Jeff Borman from the Shooters and Fishers party who's an ex-cop uh asked a question about what's going to happen to the cops who work in the sex industry control unit currently 
what will happen oh to their jobs. God. Jesus Christ. Mm. <laughs> like, imagine. That, it literally sounds like a joke. It It is a joke. It's like, oh, my God, it is it's absurd because, first of all, why would We need would to keep be... crime. Yeah. We need to have more crime to employ more cops as jobs and growth. Yeah, it's really saying the quiet part out loud. If you want more, if you want more cops to have jobs, go out and do some crime, bro. Yeah. Okay? Individual responsibility. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. Um, he also he also said, um, uh, oh, I, I'm not sure actually if it was Jeff Bowman or if it was, uh, actually, no, it was Craig Ondarchi from the Liberals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who had the most incredible guilty client of sex workers energy on the floor of the house I've ever seen in my life. It was honestly (laughs) unbelievable to watch. He said, and this is almost verbatim because it is seared into my mind. He said, I have seen personally with my own eyes, criminal activity conducted by organized crime groups within illegal brothels. Wow, man. I mean, where'd you see that, mate? Lucky you've got parliamentary <laughs> privilege. Yeah. Where have your eyes been? Yeah, you've been, uh, you've been hanging oh, around a lot of illegal there brothels there. To get instructions on how to get away from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, my goodness, just ridiculous, some truly ridiculous things and just, you know, people talking about, um, you know, mandatory. Somebody, uh, Catherine Cumming, incredible name for the sex work debate as well, uh, spoke <laughs> quite a lot. She's an independent. Um, uh, she spoke extensively um about the bill and honestly it was quite impressive she wedged some anti-vax sentiment in there as well that was pretty that was pretty impressive um for some reason she's anti-mandatory vaccination uh but she's pro mandating sexual health checks for sex workers okay (laughs) yeah makes sense checks i mean there's a lot of circular logic and hypocrisy going on in all of these like quote unquote counter arguments like we can't legalize sex work that will do more crime well no no (laughs) yeah like guys (laughs) sit down focus have a sip of water take a look at what we're actually talking about here oh boy yeah we need to criminalize the criminals again that's a that's a direct quote from the floor of parliament criminalize the criminals amazing sir please the criminals they're they're criminals already they're they're not the parliament really isn't sending us their best. Oh, truly, truly not. But yeah, I would, I would like to give a big shout out to um, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, though. Um, she's a former sex worker, um, and she has been really pushing for decriminalization um, for a really mm. long time. Um, and she did some absolute queen shit on uh, on the day of the debate. It was, it was really, really brilliant. Um, and we love to see politicians she did say you know um it she repeated a line from her first speech in parliament saying you know i'm the first sex worker might be the first sex worker to stand here but i'm following a long long line of clients um (laughs) truly and uh yeah anti-medic uh fantastic amendments really really did really meaningful consultation with the sex work community. Um, also a couple of, uh, a couple of labor, um, MLCs as well, like Harriet Shing as well. Um, who's like a queer, um, Mm -hmm. queer woman who was very, uh, you know, very vocal within the labor party advocating for decriminalization. Um, and, and just, you know, the, the presentation of the bill was done in a way that was, you know, it was evident that, uh, you know, the people spearheading it at the very least had really comprehensive knowledge and they'd listened mm. to the affected people. 
Um, and it was really meaningful. Honestly, it was it was truly, really meaningful to see a politician say in parliament that sex work is work and sex workers ought to be treated as other workers are treated and have the yep. same rights and protections right. as workers in other industries because that is something that sex workers all over the world have been pushing for for a really, really long time. Um, this is only the, I think, fourth jurisdiction in the world to decriminalise sex work, the first being um, New South Wales uh, and then uh, Aotearoa New Zealand um, has decriminalised uh, and then the Northern Territory just last year decriminalised sex work. So mm. this is only number four, but it is decriminalisation is the it's the model that's advocated for by every single peer-led sex worker organisation in the world, um, yeah. as well as it's it's advocated by uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, UNAIDS, the World Health Organisation. Um, you know the the list goes on. Like it's it's better for safety, it's better for health, it's better for communities, it's better for the workers um in in basically every conceivable way so it's really exciting that it's got through in victoria it's not full decriminalization in terms of there were um there are measures that still criminalize uh street-based sex work in in certain locations such as like near schools Mm. or churches or religious areas um and there were some fairly ridiculous questions asked on the floor about that as well. Somebody said, what if I'm taking my son down to cricket practice on a Saturday morning and there's somebody soliciting sex? And just, I mean, <laughs> I don't. Probably not the, like, the best location to be choosing for, for that anyway. Yeah, I don't think there's much risk of that. Like, it seems like that would just be bad business, honestly, you know. Um, and, and then also it's like, do you know what, like, what does somebody soliciting sex even look like on the street? It looks like somebody standing around essentially, you know, standing around maybe making meaningful eye contact. Yeah. And the, and the, the objections to people talking about street-based sex workers largely boil down to like, ew, yucky. I don't want to see that. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, and I mean, it's the same sort of thing as people saying, oh, I don't like that there's homeless people in my neighborhood because I don't want to see it, Um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's quite absurd because first of all, I just calm down. I don't think that you're going to see much, like the most that you're going to see is like, I don't know, a lady standing around in a slutty outfit, um, which, you know, you can see that any, I walk down the street in a slutty outfit to go to the shops because it's 40 degrees and, you know, <laughs> I'm dying and I'm probably in a sluttier outfit than I would wear to actually go to work, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, like society it's just... Society has yet to collapse. Society has yet to due collapse. Due to the influx of, of slutty outfits. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. And, I mean, you go, to the, you go to the pool and you see people in bathers and you don't die. Um and I think it's just, you know, it's that's just, why you, it's illegal to build a pool within 500 meters of a church. Yes, exactly. Because, oh, my eyes, my, my precious eyes have been <laughs> exposed to bare flesh or something, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. it's, it's absurd. A lot of the objections were truly just really, really coming down to, oh, yucky, I don't like it. Um, which again, sure, you don't like it. Don't worry about it. It's not, you, no one's making you do it. But, uh, you know. And it doesn't have to be a law. It doesn't have to be a law. No. I don't like it, therefore it should be illegal. It's actually not a great argument at the end of the day. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's not, you know. Again, plenty of of things that I find a bit yucky that I will allow other people to do because I can't make that illegal because that's a really bad idea, you know. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, some might say none of your fucking business. I would I would go so far as to say none of your yeah. fucking business. Yeah. So, JB, I know you had some more stuff you wanted to talk about about online safety and so on, but we are now smashing past an hour. So I thought so. Would it be Sorry. all right if we put that on hold for your like return visit in a couple of weeks or something? Because oh my God, um, yeah. you've been I mean, this has been fascinating and detailed and really important and interesting. So yeah, I'm sure we'd love to have you back to do the second half of the, you know, the negativity corner part um, at some point. Yeah, not a problem. Oh, you like me. You really like me. <laughs> you Even really like I've you. Just, I've, I've talked your ears off um, for, you know, I did I did say, I did warn you that this would happen. Um, you did, you did, but I, you fulfilled your that brief. Was the, that was the, the assignment. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like so much detailed analysis, so much information. I think this was, you know, this is extremely informative for me and I'm sure it will, will have been for listeners yeah, as well. Agreed. So thank you so much for taking us through all that, JB. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for listening to it. And yeah, I uh, apologize for my incredibly detailed info dump, but also I don't apologize because it's important yeah, no and necessary. Apology. Needed or wanted, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, JB. That was fantastic. Uh, and now we're just going to move on to our last story for this week, which is our First Nations story. So uh, this week was the 14-year anniversary of the National Apology to the Stolen Generations. Um, and to mark the occasion, politicians got up and made a bunch of speeches, and some were better than others. I've got a clip here from uh, Wiradjuri woman and Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, Linda Burney. Uh, she's speaking about... Yaru man and Labor Senator from Western, Western Australia, Pat Dodson here. The member for Grangler spoke about Senator Dodson hiding in the long grass, watching as the welfare officers took away his mates. Put yourself in the shoes of that little boy, not just in that moment, but in the earlier moments of his life that meant he knew he needed to run and hide. Put yourself in the shoes of a three-year-old wrapped in the love of a large family, to have that love ripped away, to put yourself in the shoes of parents loving, caring and now grieving. So yeah, pretty powerful mm. speech from, from Linda Burney and a really, I guess, genuine feeling and uh, emotion about the just the, the absolute tragedy and, and the sadness of the stolen generations. Someone who didn't really encapsulate that was the Prime Minister. Uh, his speech was just fucking terrible. Uh, and there's like one particular comment that he made, which I'll come to later, which has kind of been getting a lot of attention. But there's a couple of other things I noticed reading through the full text of the speech. One really awful thing is that I, I don't know if you to know this about Scott Morrison, but that he started doing this like acknowledgement of the defense force yeah, the, at the beginning of his the diggers. speaking engagements. Yeah. Uh, after like, an, after, you know, acknowledging the traditional owners of the land that he's on. So he said, yeah, and today around Australia and indeed at sea and elsewhere, uh -huh. Indigenous Australians are serving in the Australian Defence Forces, keeping us safe. And I thank them, along with all who serve and all those who are veterans for their service, which... Fuck you. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Morrison. Thank you for that one. Um... But yes, there is a moment from this uh, quote-unquote apology speech, which has been doing the rounds, and I'll, I'll play it for you now. 
sorry is not the hardest word to say. The hardest is I forgive you. But I do know that such a path of forgiveness does lead to healing. It does open up a new opportunity. It does offer up release from the bondage of pain and suffering that no simple apology on its own can achieve. Oh. What a piece of shit. Oh yeah, I apologize to everyone for making you listen to that. But yeah, uh, it's important to, to look at look it in the face. Like, look, we'll get into it. But aside from anything else, it's so disgusting that he used that line. Why is sorry the hardest word for you to say? That is something that has been used against him recently by ABC journalists, particularly um, Sarah Lane. There was an interview when he was when she was talking to him about the government's mishandling of COVID and asked him that question. Why is sorry the hardest word for you to say? And it's like, now he's using this. He's like seeing the theme of apology and he's like, oh, this is great. This is an opportunity for me to get one back. Yeah. Like re, you know, reestablish control of the apology narrative, which is just, yeah, you could have said, I mean, you know, so cynical. Sorry isn't the hardest word to say. It's, I thought the children needed a holiday in Hawaii after a long year. And I guess I was wrong about that. You know, like, uh, yeah, it just, just really gross and cynical, but here's a few, uh, reactions from, uh, first nations people to this speech from Morrison. Lydia Thorpe said, this is outright disrespect to all those affected by stolen generations in this country. How dare you ask for forgiveness when you still perpetrate racist policies and systems that continue to steal our babies. That is not an apology. Yep. Amen. This one from Scott Scott Trindle on Twitter. Repair, restitution, and land back seem to be the hardest things to say, though. Which, <laughs> yep, very true. And uh, the the Victorian First Peoples Assembly put out an official official press release, which um, I'll read out for you in its entirety now. Official response from the First People's Assembly of Victoria to Prime Minister Scott Morrison's comment regarding the anniversary of the national apology. Quote, get in the bin. What more mm. needs to be said, honestly? Succinct. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've tied it up pretty neatly there. Um, but yeah, reading through Morrison's speech, there's also this kind of in, insidious through line, this idea running through it that basically the pain and trauma of the stolen generations is a thing of the past, right? Mm. He, you know, he said, this is a quote, we are on a journey to make peace with our past. To him and other white supremacists like him it's like this is done it's finished now it's this abstract thing so like it makes perfect sense for him to respond with like just empty words and and bullshit because that's how he thinks of the issue in the first place and he also i think he also seems to really genuinely resent the implication and i mean a lot of people like him and the Liberal Party in particular seem to be, they really resent the implication that they have any kind of control or anything to do with any of this as well, you know? Like the whole argument of like, why would we apologise when it wasn't us, it wasn't me personally that's done this. JB, they're just the ruling government who's been in power for the three last electoral cycles. I mean, what they can't do anything. They're not responsible for shit. Yeah, it reminds me of John Howard saying, you know, like this was not... This I didn't do this. This is why should I have to apologize and things when he was yeah. in power? When it's like, okay, bro, no, like absolutely. you were literally and like you personally were literally in parliament when the original stolen generations policies were still in effect. Like, never mind the fact yep. that more children are being removed now than ever before. Like, 
you did do that. It was you. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? Like you, you personally and specifically did do that. And same with Scott Morrison and the Liberal Party and, and the Labor Party um, today as well. You know, like you are very, very personally and materially responsible for continued and massive suffering and dispossession. And they're sort of like, oh yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's let bygones be, be bygones, everybody, you know, like wash your hands of it. And of course it's, it's not bygones. It's not abstract. As you say, JB, it's, it's continuing. Uh, I've got a quote here from Sissy Austin writing for Indigenous X. It is a gut-wrenching reality that despite the blood, sweat, and tears our community members are putting into this crisis, we are going to continue to see the number of our kids in out-of-home care rise. We are seeing another stolen generation with our stolen generation victim survivors bearing witness to this tragedy. At the time of the national apology to the stolen generations in 2008, there were 9,070 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in out-of-home care. The most recent data from the Family Matters Report 2021 highlights that figure has now grown to 21,523. So even within, you know, since the time that the national apology was first made to now, the number of Indigenous kids getting taken away from their families has more than doubled. This is not a problem of the past. This isn't some historical wrongdoing, you know, that we just need to kind of paper over with platitudes. It's an ongoing problem. And you know, the like, also to act like the trauma of the those initial stolen generations is something of the past is totally wrongheaded as well. We, you know, we know uh, that uh, more than a third of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander adults are descended from members of the stolen generations. And those descendants are much more likely to experience extreme hardship, you know, whether that's social, economic, uh, or medical, you know, and, and these problems ultimately they are material and so a meaningful apology has to be as well you know Mm. indigenous kids need to stop being removed from their families and communities there needs to be a national reparation scheme for members and descendants of the stolen generations and that is the absolute baseline that is the bare minimum that the government should be doing if they you know genuinely want to apologize or make amendment and make amends for this and uh, yeah, I've got another quote here from Sissy Austin because, of course, you know, ending child removal seems like a pretty obvious first step yep. if you are actually trying to, you know, quote unquote, apologize. Building on a system that was never meant to be here is not working. It never will work. The child protection system must be abolished. Since colonization, First Nations children and families have been chained to a child protection system that does not belong here. So there's many very obvious ways forward, many doable, you know, policy positions that the government could take if they wanted to actually meaningfully apologize, meaningfully act in the spirit of the national apology. But instead, you know, we get from the leader of our a leader of our country just, you know, not just empty bullshit, but also this like reversal of the responsibility, right? You know, like, mm, oh, it's now totally. the responsibility of First Nations people to to forgive us. Like, well, bro, you need to do something in the first place to earn forgiveness. And you have done nothing. You have made things worse. So yeah, I don't know. You you basically couldn't ask for like a clear demonstration that colonization and genocide are ongoing processes, yep. you know? 
mm-hmm. and and it's important to to look at Morrison and not just understand that he is on a personal level racist scum, but he is like the proud and enthusiastic leader of you know a racist and scummy system that continues to perpetuate you know unforgivable cruelty on indigenous people of this land. So yeah, terrible, terrible job this week, Scott Morrison. The bar is very low and you still managed to walk clean into Just, it. Oh, I would say he tunneled under it, honestly. He got his shovel out and he tunneled underneath that bar because it was on the ground. It went well below. Mm-hmm. Seriously. <sighs> Just want to, yeah, yeah, you know, from the absolute bottom of my heart and the absolute most utmost disrespect that I could possibly summon, just say, fuck you, you know, just... Couldn't agree more. I feel like the the Snack Corp will co-sign that statement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You've got the official official co-sign on Fuck You, Scott Morrison. Great. 100%. All right. All right. Let's do it. If you want a podcast, you got to do a lot of shit. It's not technically podcasting. You still got to do that shit. Several people have asked me in the last couple of weeks where that sting comes from and if you really want to know you can listen to love it maine by das racist um <laughs> it might or might not be worth it but what will be worth it is supporting snack pod on patreon for one dollar a month you go to patreon.com forward slash snackpod dollar a month you get a monthly bonus episode you get access to our discord and if you give us more money you get other cool stuff like a limited edition ish toasty pin of a you know the toast guy the snack pod toast friend you know the little guy yeah he's our uh, profile picture on twitter and facebook and instagram which also happen to be platforms on which you can like and follow us and contact and us also send contact us stories us. or be like you were wrong about this claim you made or whatever there's a first time for everything <laughs> and the other thing you can do if you really want to support us is you can leave us a rating on spotify or you can go over to apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review and uh we got a not particularly friendly review a couple of weeks back and the the snack pack really has rallied in support yeah. and um done a great job of drowning out the uh the the negativity over on our review page on uh, Apple Podcasts. We've got so, two direct parodies of that bad review, so that's we, we've got dueling parodies. That's strong. Here. Yeah. Uh, so let's read out a couple of these uh, reviews from our listeners. Uh, JB, do you have the reviews open? Then I do. I do. Would you mind reading out that top one for us, please? All right. This is a five-star review. It comes from Jal Merck uh, via Apple Podcasts. And it says, I've laughed, I've cried, I've cringed, and I've laughed some more. A wonderfully enjoyable podcast that keeps me up to date with all the ways I can intelligently shut down all the bigots in the world. That's that's nice. huge, guys. All the bigots <laughs> in the world. Do you know how many bigots there are? They're all getting shut are? down. Yeah, we sure do because we provide, apparently, the ammo for shutting down all of them. So that's Hell great. Oh, yeah. Thanks. That's incredible. Jalmark. I'm glad we could be Thanks, so helpful. Jalmark. Uh, next up, this one is from Nathan, um, communitarian and identitarian, five stars. <laughs> and he starts disclaimer. This is a joke response to a recent nonsensical one star review. So thank you for clarifying. And he says, 
Recently, a minority opinion of this podcast was voiced in the reviews, so I thought I would respond to a few of the points raised. Vacuous, self-gratifying commentary. To be fair, they also gratify many of their listeners. Educated people who know best. Hard agree. The reality is, they should know better. Point me at a podcast hosted by people who know better, please. Probably Greens voters. Have you listened to the podcast? Elite Swine. Have you listened to the pup date? Identitarian. Google this. Look at the Wikipedia blob. You could not be more wrong about either this podcast or what that word means. Communitarian sure sounds about right. Yeah, so Nathan, he, he contacted me privately to let me know that identitarian isn't the same as identity politics. It's like a far right libertarian yes. race science kind of a thing. Yeah. So, I think it's Christian, Christian identitarianism. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like a weird white nationalist Christian thing. Yeah. Not really what we do here or not what we try no, to do. No, no. Yeah. Communitarianism. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Why not? We have another uh, parody review from Rank Stranger. Eco champs. <laughs> Five stars, which are much better than Echo Chamber. Thank you. Virtuous self-deprecating commentary with a strong emphasis on inclusionary politics and progressive pr- critiques of Ospol. Valuable material addition to the mainstream news cycle with insightful chatter from educated <laughs> people who often know best to the great benefit of those who should know better. Oh. Probably post-electoralists. <laughs> this, okay, Rake Stranger is really picking up what we're putting down. Egalitarian menshees. M- who posit. Menches, rather, who posit communitarian ideals. Cute. Thank you very much, Rank Stranger. Yeah, good. I would and, say um, that your menchies are pretty egalitarian as well in terms of the people that tweet at you <laughs> that are in your mentions. True. Oh. Our we love our menchies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got the menches. A couple of menches checking our menchies. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Zach, we spent too, too much, much time. Uh. <laughs> Okay, uh, and I know there's something um, particularly self-indulgent about having the guest read out reviews, which makes me just want to ask you to read that last one for us, JV. Oh, it's just a... Absolutely. Oh, this is nice. It's, it is. Oh, it's very sweet. This is from Rob Dogs, uh, and Rob Dogs has rated you five star as well. I'm happy to indulge you on this, guys. It's mm-hmm. titled, The Only <laughs> Podcast I Listen To Weekly, all caps, WITHOUT FAIL. Rob Dogs are holding you to that. Rob Dog says, I've been listening to Zach and Noon present their show so long now that they feel like old friends. This could be in part because they make themselves available to their listenership on several platforms to discuss show content, but I feel it's more about the relatable way in which they present their subject. Oh, Australian, oh. Sub- uh, Australian politics is a complex subject at best, so to be able to convey the week's happenings in such a meaningful way is testament to the knowledge they have on the subject and more importantly, the passion they have for making the world around them a better place. Thanks for doing what you do, guys. Smiley face emoji. So kind. Aww. Thanks, Rob. And nice. Um, she's also like super active in the Discord and like um, congratulations, Rob's, on your recent new thing that you started. Um, but yeah, anyway, if you want to contact us on several platforms to discuss show content, you can on Discord, for example. Um, but yeah, thanks, Rubs, for being a lovely part of the community and writing into us and supporting the show and giving the review. It's really nice. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody who wrote in. That really, yeah, that really warms our hearts and really makes us feel appreciated and really shows that one-star reviewer, you know, where they can stick it. Amen. Before we get out of the plugging section, JB, where can people find you? Is there anything that you want to plug? <laughs> 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Well, if you're interested in more of my, uh, somewhat coherent ramblings emphasis on the <laughs> ramblings um uh you can find me on twitter at uh fairy underscore god slot uh like a fairy godmother but uh a slot um and uh i would also like to shout out um vixen collective which is the victorian uh sex work industry network um scarlet alliance which is the national peak body for sex workers uh definitely check out um the if you're, you know, in other states, the sex work outreach projects or similar in uh, in your area, you can find a list of those on the Scarlet Alliance website. Um, there's a great uh, Instagram account uh, and project called Decolonize Sex Work as well, and they're often fundraising uh, or um, doing other kind of initiatives to benefit Indigenous sex workers. Um, and, uh, yeah, have a look at organisations like Assembly for Digital Rights Watch uh, and the Hacking Hustling Collective for more information on online rights for sex workers, um, which I suppose I will be back on the show. I feels like I've been invited. I'm going <laughs> to hold you to that um, to talk yeah, about totally. because I spoke too long about the bill today, and even now I'm thinking about more stuff that I wish I'd said. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, great. Thank you. And we'll put links in the show notes to all of those um, uh, organizations and websites that you just shouted out, so people can just scroll down and click them. Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Now it's time for a pup day. JB, <gasps> I hear you've got a pup date for us. I do have a pup date for you. Uh, I'm very excited that I get to contribute this part of, uh, of the podcast. <laughs> so, look, the pup date that I have, he's not technically my dog emotionally. Um, you know, I, I love him like my own son. Um, his name is Ace. He's my ex's dog, but you know, I'm a very involved sort of, uh, article, I suppose. He is beautiful. He is a gigantic wolf dog. Um, and he is the goofiest boy, like possibly ever. Um, Noon's actually met him and, and has, uh, and has yeah, trained yeah, I did him some somewhat. training for Ace and it was, he's such a big sweetheart and he had a slightly annoying habit of when you want to watch TV he would indicate that you weren't paying enough attention by a slowly rising bark that just was constant. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we tried to work on that. I don't know how it's gone, but, uh, yeah. It's actually gone really well. Um, ah, that's fabulous. It, it's gone really, really well. He just, yeah, he just loves people. He loves attention. He's a, um, yeah. we're not sure exactly what kind of a dog he is. Um, he's definitely like part husky, husky or maybe Malamute. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. I think that he's half Kelpie because he has a lot of Kelpie type behaviors. And he also just like really mm -hmm. gravitates to other Kelpies at the dog park. Um, he's like, Hey guys, uh, I'm kind of like you. And they're all about <laughs> half of his size. Cause I can't yeah, stress yeah. enough how huge he is. Um, but he's been That's doing, he's been doing amazing. I've been walking him a lot recently. Uh, he's been allowed off leash for the first time um, because he's got terrible recall. That I think yep. it's like the Kelpie Husky combo is, has created a sort of like a cheeky, evil genius type dog in that he's incredibly <laughs> smart, but he's also deeply stubborn. Um, and when I take him out as well, he's like, excuse me, you are not my real dad. Um, and Time so for me to break the rules, baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's like, Oh, right. Okay. I can pull you like you're a sled, right. When I'm, when I'm walking him. <laughs> no, he's begun to respect me a little bit more. Um, but he's, he's nice. doing amazing. He's uh, loving life. Uh, he, yeah, he's he's a beautiful boy. What can I say? Ace, destroyer of couches, outdoor couches only. Indoor couches are safe. Outdoor couches, 
they're a large marshmallow for him. Uh, destroyer of couches, loser of um, balls that you throw for him, and uh, beautiful cuddly angel that is a sweet baby boy, and I love him. Love you, Ace, if you're listening for some reason. Shout out, Ace. <laughs> Please enjoy some Cracker pup day as well. Yeah, it's a great pup day. Textbook pup day. Oh, thank you. My pup date is very exciting this week, or a couple days ago. It was the five-year anniversary of me getting bagel and um i got him some freeze-dried pilchards which uh were the most disgusting snack available in the pet shop ace has Um, some of those too they are horrifying just awful and bagel (laughs) wolfed it down had a great time um and uh yeah it's very nice all of my family messaged me with congratulations which is cute uh yeah it was it was just a nice sweet day he has no idea why he got pilchards obviously because he has no sense of the passage (laughs) of time but um yeah anyway that's nice and i've been seeing you know facebook memories of the photos i took in the first few days when he's tiny and pale and just a very small little boy and it's very sweet to remember those times oh what a cutie well, I'm down on the uh, the south coast of New South Wales at the moment with Dante, and Dante doesn't like the car, and he doesn't like being in the car for like two minutes, and he definitely doesn't like being in the car for like eleven hours. Yeah. So that was a little bit of an experience getting him up here. Uh, but then I figured it's okay, you know, we'll get here, and then we're in this really quiet little beach town. I'll just take him for a walk. And we went outside and the first thing that happened was he's, that he saw a kangaroo and basically <laughs> had to reconfigure his entire understanding of the world and his brain short-circuited <laughs> and he lost his shit. Um, so I was like, okay, walks around the neighborhood, maybe not so much. It's okay, we'll just go for a walk down the beach. There's no ruse down there. We got down there and Dante saw a wave and he was like, ah, another thing for me to be absolutely fucking terrified of. <laughs> and I have never seen him leap backwards before but he like almost basically jumped clean out of his harness trying to get away from the water so he's been doing a lot of hanging out in the garden Um, and uh, right now i'm looking at him he's lying on our bed getting fucking dog hair everywhere and also like voraciously gnawing his own butt and creating a little like brown patch of like dog saliva infused with butt hair on the bedspread which is a yeah one of many dante classics anyway (laughs) so that's my puff date with dante i'm hoping next week i'll be able to say that like you know he got slightly less terrified of a wave or a kangaroo but um i'm not i'm not not holding my breath i'll be honest Mm, baby steps baby steps (laughs) Wow, slowly, slowly. Well, Alrighty. that about does us. JB, thanks so much for coming on. It was great. And yeah, absolutely have you on again soon. Um, it was it was fabulous. Thanks Thank for having back. me. I've I've learned um, a valuable lesson, which is write more comprehensive notes so that I don't rattle on quite as much. But hopefully that was fairly informative. Um, it's fabulous. I yeah. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. 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 Oh golly. Yep. No, There's so fantastic. much that I really that I wish I'd said now. <laughs> Damn it, I went into so much detail and stuff that I didn't need to. It's fine. I'll be back. Maybe I'll start my own back. podcast. Mm. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. If you need a hand. <laughs> thank you. you. Let us know. I have no time. But thank you. Wow. You bet.
Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you next week for more news and politics and other bullshit. Uh, but in the meantime, keep on snacking in the free world. Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. And sex work is real work for cops. Crunch, crunch. Crunch, crunch. crunch. Nice.